Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Process Potables. I am Dan with you as always. Process Potables is proud to be a part of the Underground Sports Philadelphia podcast network. You can find all things Underground Sports Philadelphia at Underground PHI. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star rating, and leave a review. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and untapped at Process Potables. I hope that everybody enjoyed the last episode where we spoke with Kevin Kincaid of Crossing Broad as part of our series on the Sixers season preview and predictions. This episode is going to feature another very special guest, Adam Aronson of Liberty Ballers. You may know him on Twitter, at Sixers Adam. I am a huge fan of what Adam does over at Liberty Ballers, and if you haven't already been there to check out his work, I suggest you do so immediately. I want to thank Adam for joining us, and before we get to the interview, I just want to give everybody a friendly reminder that on October 23rd, we will be broadcasting live from the Wells Fargo Center parking lot before the Sixers home opener against the Celtics. Please come over, say hi, drink a beer, scream at us, make fun of us, whatever you want to do, it is absolutely welcome. We really hope to see some people out there. Both Steve and myself will be there hanging out, talking Sixers and getting hyped up for the game. After that, on November 1st, we will be live from Flying Fish Brewery in Somerdale, New Jersey from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. And we hope to see everybody there enjoying all of the great beers that Flying Fish has to offer. Without any further ado, here is Adam Aronson of Liberty Ballers. All right, so joining us now is Adam Aronson of Liberty Ballers. You can find him on Twitter at Sixers Adam. Adam, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. Uh, so we're going to get right into it. The first question I have for you, uh, as Philadelphians, we tend to always go with the negative, and you know this will be nothing different. What is your biggest concern going into the season for the Sixers? I think that early on in the season, we're going to see this offense kind of struggle a little bit. Uh, they lost J.J. Redick, who uh, kind of helped build the foundation of their whole system. It's a bit of a wonky fit in the half court with two big men in Embiid and Al Horford. Plus, Simmons' inability to shoot always makes things more complicated. They're so much bigger. They don't have a real, you know, small guard. Um, So I think this offense is going to be a little tricky to figure out. I don't think it should be a long-term concern, but I think we could see maybe the first 10 to 15 games of the year. uh, They might struggle to get easy baskets because something that was so valuable about Redick was that in a situation where maybe, you know, there's eight seconds left on the shot clock, you don't have anything going on that possession. He can spring off a screen, catch a pass, and take a fallaway jumper and knock it down. He could at the very least get a good look through his off-ball movement or through a dribble handoff with Embiid, and that's kind of a safety net that they don't have anymore. Uh, and so they might find that with Tobias Harris maybe uh, scoring off the dribble or Joel Embiid in the post or maybe Josh Richardson gives value there. Uh, but it's something that is going to take time to figure out. So so one concern I have is is how this offense is going to look in the half court early on in the season. Yeah, I can definitely see that being a problem. And I think a lot of us would expect Tobias Harris to kind of shoulder that burden a little bit. But yeah, it won't be nearly the same as it was with J.J. Redick, obviously. Um, the next one is a positive narrative that you think is likely to develop this season. I think that the major worries when Joel Embiid is off the floor are going to be, to some extent, put to bed this year with the addition of Al Horford, who is going to be the starting power forward next to Embiid, but at, pretty, at almost all times, definitely all of the important times when Embiid is off the floor, Horford can come in and play center. Um, the Sixers 
fell off like almost unbelievable levels when Embiid was off the floor over the last two years. And I'm not saying that they're going to stay as dominant with Embiid off the floor as they are on the floor because that's nearly impossible. Uh, but I don't think we're going to see any situations like when the Sixers were minus 12 in two and a half minutes when Embiid was off the floor in Game 7 against Toronto or anything resembling that, even if they fall off a little bit, which is just natural when your best player isn't on the floor. Having somebody like Horford in there patrolling the paint uh, is going to be hugely valuable for them. Yeah, we no longer have to have nightmares about guys like Amir Johnson and Greg Monroe coming in. And and even Kyle Quinn is, is a much more serviceable backup uh, when it comes to that than, than any of them. So that's that's absolutely for sure. The, the interesting thing about Horford and even with Josh Richardson, because uh, there was a lot coming out today regarding Brett Brown talking about Josh Richardson potentially getting the backup point guard role come the playoffs and stuff, is that that's really some of the main value of Horford and Richardson isn't even necessarily what they bring to the starting lineup. It's what they do to help you stagger and and make sure that you're like always strong on the court, that you're not just a, a starting lineup with, with nothing to back it up. Absolutely. I, I, wrote, I wrote a piece on Liberty Ballers uh, several weeks back trying to figure out how Brett Brown is going is going to go about sort of mapping out the rotation, and and part of it when you have five uh, good to great players like this team has, and then a bench that is not as bad as in past years, but is still so so. Uh, an important part of it is staggering, where you have certain starters, you have you know let's say at least two starters in at all times, and and whether that's Embiid and Simmons or or Harris and Horford and Richardson, uh, that you always have some sort of uh, strengths on the floor. And it doesn't turn into a situation where you've got a lineup out there that has Mike Scott and O'Quinn and Zaire Smith and Matisse Thibel and Trey Burke. And, and with all due respect to those players who are all good guys to have surrounding your stars, uh, you need those stars or at least those very good players in the case of someone like Richardson or even Tobias Harris. Uh, you need those guys in there. And having five guys who all can seemingly create their own shot who all are plus defenders, or in Tobias's case, not a not a major negative, but he is definitely a plus on offense. I think that's going to be hugely valuable. Yeah, I loved that article, um, and I know you used that uh, that rotations tool from Early Bird Rights because I went and did it as soon as I read your piece and tried it out, and I thought that was cool. I uh, wanted to make sure to give them a shout as well. And if you want to find that article from Adam, uh, at least as of recording this, it's the one pinned on your Twitter, so it's the first thing everybody should see. So definitely take a look at that. Um, I found that to be really interesting, and I found that tool really fun to mess around with and try and build my own idea of how they'll do that staggering. Um, so on the same idea, that was the positive, a negative narrative that you think is likely to develop this season. Uh, so it's a little similar to my to my earlier negative takeaway, um, which is, and it has to do with Josh Richardson, who I think it seems like a lot of people are expecting to fill J.J. Redick's shoes to some extent on offense. Obviously, he's not going to be the shot maker Redick was. They're not going to be able to run all of the same stuff. But I think people are counting on Richardson and Embiid having an effective two-man game, a lot of dribble handoff stuff, pick-and-roll stuff. And I'm not sure that I buy that as something that's going to be anywhere near the level of Redick and Embiid actions, which, to be fair, those were you know, every year that Redick was here, those the plays involving those two guys were incredibly efficient. Um, but I, I just don't think that Richardson can be the partner for Embiid that Redick was. I, I don't think that 
the offense is going to struggle. I don't think that Richardson's necessarily a bad fit. Um, but I see a lot of people kind of just penciling Richardson in for something resembling the offensive value that Reddick gave. And I just think for a bunch of reasons, chief among them being Reddick's shooting ability and, and the gravity that that kind of creates on its own, uh, I don't think Richardson is going to give the same offensive value that Reddick did, at least not when it comes to working a two-man game with Embiid. Yeah, I'm glad you use that word gravity because we, we talk about that a lot, namely with a guy like Steph Curry. But J.J. Reddick definitely commands, I guess I can't really say similar because Steph Curry is a other world player, but uh, J.J. Reddick definitely commands a lot of gravity. And while Josh Richardson has a lot to his game that J.J. couldn't do, he's nowhere near that kind of player where um, you can complain about J.J. jacking up threes once in a while, but at the same time, him coming off that screen on that dribble handoff not only pulls his original defender, but one the two guys can often be moved toward him as a result of him coming off of that. And they definitely don't have anybody who commands that kind of respect currently on this roster. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you like Reddick's value to any team is going to go much beyond, you know, the, let's say 17 points per game. I think that's roughly what he averaged last year. The however many assists, there are going to be so many plays where the offense is opened up to such an extreme extent just because the defense knows J.J. Redick is on the floor. He's standing out on the perimeter. We have to make sure we have, you know, multiple sets of eyes on him because he's not only is he such a good shooter, but he can get it off quickly. And he has this kind of shooting versatility where he could really take such a large array of shots. Um, so, so I think people are kind of discounting. Uh, back to my original point at the beginning of this, I think people are discounting the the hit that the Sixers are going to take offensively without Redick. Yeah, for sure. Um, give me one bold prediction for the Sixers. This can be you know the team as a whole or for a specific player. I think I'd, uh, I'm not sure what the Vegas over under total is for them at this point, and I'm sure we're going to get to that at some point. It's uh, the next question. It's fifty three and a half. I think I think they're going to clearly go over. Um, I think I think we're going to be talking about a push for 60. Um, and, and that's partly because I believe in this roster and even more so because I, I'm not sure who I trust in the Eastern Conference other than the Sixers and the Bucks. Um, Orlando is a team that I like. Boston will be good. Miami could be good with Jimmy Butler uh, as he enjoys his first year of retirement. Um, but, but overall... Uh, I'm not sure how this team is going to lose, you know, 53 wins would be what 29 losses. I'm not sure how this team could lose nearly 30 games uh, given their personnel and given the personnel of some of the other teams in the Eastern conference who they're going to play so often. Yeah. I like that one a lot. I, I don't think I've talked to anybody who doesn't like the over, but talking about, you know, potentially 60, 60 plus is, is definitely out there. It scares me how confident everybody is in the over. Generally, that's not, that's not great, but uh, I, I believe, I believe in it too strongly to, to even try and convince myself to what the, the counter is. Um, all right. The next one is just number of Sixers who are all stars. I am going to go with three. I'm gonna. I'm. I think Embiid is obviously a lock. Simmons is close to a lock, and and I'll count on either Horford or Harris making it. If I had to pick one, I'm gonna say Harris because I think just the counting stats will be a lot better. Horford, as we all know, is not a guy whose counting stats have ever reflected his impact. He's much more, yeah, you know, the eye test type of player. Um, and Tobias, you know, with Jimmy Butler gone, 
he could average well over 20 points a game this season if the team decides that they want him to be their go-to half-court playmaker or shot creator. Um, so I'm going to say three, and those three, my guess, are going to be Embiid, Simmons, and Harris. I like that. It's it's, it's funny because when on the last episode where I talked to Kevin Kincaid crossing broad, he said two, and we said, you know, if there was a third, it's probably Tobias Harris, but he's not sure that he gets there. And I said that I think that for the Sixers to have three all-stars or, or even more, but I, I have a hard time believing they have more than three, they're going to have to be pretty far ahead in the East. And that includes, you know, kind of pacing Milwaukee. And it would line up with your idea that their, you know, over wins could be much closer to 60, that they could actually be in a position where they are, you know, such a dominant force in the East that they, that they warrant that. Um, you combine that with Tobias Harris getting absolutely snubbed last year out West that maybe he gets a little bit of uh, service for that and, and gets a little bit of pity that bumps him into that this year. So I could definitely see that. Um, my next question is which number is greater? The amount of Ben Simmons triple doubles or the amount of threes that he makes? Triple doubles. Uh, triple. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm definitely taking triple doubles. That's a fun, that's a fun question. Um, so, uh, Without knowing the exact number off the top of my head, I want to say that Ben has had somewhere in between 10 and 15 triple doubles at each of his two years. Um, and I'm just, I'm not willing to assume he's going to make, let's say, 15 threes over an 82 game season before I've seen him take more than, you know, two actual half court three point attempts in his entire career. Um, I get the excitement with all these videos. Like, clearly, he's made some sort of improvement as a shooter. Uh, but I wouldn't bank on it being uh, any noticeable improvement within the Sixers' half-court offense. Maybe he shoots a three every now and then. Maybe he becomes better at the elbow, which would help, in all honesty. Uh, but I, I pretty firmly would pick triple-doubles there. All right, that's interesting. Uh, who is the second leading scorer on this team? I'm assuming that Joel Embiid is first in this scenario. I think it's got to be Tobias Harris. Um, and it's interesting because he's not the second best player on this team, and he's pro- and he probably isn't even the third best player on this team. And and if you're a big Josh Richardson fan, you could argue he is at the fourth best, although I wouldn't go that far. Um, yeah. But I think when you just look at how the shots were distributed last year, um, there are so many half-court, off-the-dribble possessions to fill with Jimmy Butler gone and even with J.J. Redick gone as, you know, having a knockdown shooter. Tobias can fill both of those roles, obviously not in full because that's just way too big of a workload to put on anybody, let alone someone like Tobias, who is a great player, but not a superstar. Um, But I think there are just going to be so many more avenues for him to contribute to the offense, specifically in the half court, which has been a theme of my answers, as you can see. Um, Yeah. So... I would go with Tobias as the second leading scorer. If I had to pick somebody else, it would be Ben. But I just have a hard time seeing, you know, without the the threat of a three-point jump shot, without the ability to consistently make free throws, uh, and, and still somewhat of a passive mindset on offense when it comes to uh, taking shots. I, I'm not sure how Ben Simmons is going to end up averaging more points than Tobias Harris. Yeah, I would say Tobias as well. I think that's that's probably the consensus among people, but I think the argument would have to be made for Ben, and it definitely correlates to whether you really believe in you know jump shot montages over the summer or not. Right. Yeah. The 
the next one I have is for end of season awards. So just any guys that you think could be all NBA, you know, first, second or third team, I guess, all defense. Uh, or if you think anybody on this team is actually an, an MVP or defensive player of the year, actual winner. Uh, I think Embiid will make a very serious play for defensive player of the year. Uh, as it has in years past, it's going to probably come down to games played for him. Um, I think he's going to play enough games because people people look at games more than they look at minutes. And yeah. the vibe I got from media day was that from from Embiid's media availability is that their load management plan seems to be more based around playing him less each night instead of you know more like giving him more nights of rest, which is more similar to what Kawhi Leonard did last year, which is obviously what made the whole load management thing uh, kind of famous. Right, but I mean, I think I think there's a better chance that we see Embiid play 30 minutes a game over 73 games than him playing 33 minutes a game over 60 games. And and honestly, I, I think I feel good about that. Um, I think that's something that I would do um, because Embiid had such a massive workload last year, early on in the season, that I think it contributed to his uh, knee injuries. But back to the original question. Uh, I'll, I'll say that he, at the very least, is going to come close to winning Defensive Player of the Year. We know he has the talent and the ability to do it. We know he wants to do it. He's talked about it for a few years now. Um, so I think he's going to either win Defensive Player of the Year or come close. I would be surprised if he didn't make an all-defense team. Uh, Horford and Simmons are both good enough defenders that they'll basically automatically get considered for the all-defense teams. Wouldn't surprise me if one of those guys made it. I'm not sure I could see both of them making it. And, and Richardson also is somebody who has the ability to become that kind of player. If he really embraces uh, this, what seems to be his assignment defensively, which is to guard point guards, which, you know, he's six, six with almost a seven foot wingspan, but it is difficult to do, especially, I mean, opening night, he's going to see Kemba Walker. Who's one of the quickest and shiftiest guys in the league. That's a really and it's crushed us repeatedly. Well, I mean, we saw he put sixty on Jimmy Butler, and even when Jimmy Butler was coasting defensively, Jimmy Butler's still a great defensive player. So, mm-hmm. um, I think Embiid is a lock to make an All Defense team, and I think Simmons, Horford, and Richardson all have a good chance, or at least a decent chance. All right, I like that. Next one is playoff seed. I am gonna say two out of respect to Milwaukee because they were so, so good last year. And I think their, their four games where they lost to Toronto uh, overshadowed how great they were, at the very least, how great they were in the regular season. And, and even if there are playoff concerns with Milwaukee, which we'll talk about later, I'm sure, um, there's no denying how good they were in the regular season. They totally destroyed teams. And, and I think after looking at the season, they just had over 60 wins, uh, one of the best point differentials in recent memory other than, you know, the last several Warriors teams. Um, I think you have to give Milwaukee the benefit of the doubt as the, as the best team in the East for now. Uh, whether or not that means they'll win the series and they'll win a seven-game series against the Sixers, who knows. But I think they have to be uh, given the right to be the favorite going in. Yeah, Budenholzer has the resume of being a very, very great regular season coach at least, and Giannis obviously has carried that team to several, you know, great Eastern finishes now, as far as at least the regular season records. So, uh, I don't think you'll upset or shock anybody with that one. Um, 
my next question kind of leads into the playoffs and everything. And it's how far does Brett Brown have to take this team to secure his job as the Sixers head coach? Oh man. I, uh, I kind of think they have to win the East in order for him to keep his job. Um, but also, you know, it seemed like he had to get to the Easter conference finals last year to save his job. And then they lose, but they lose the way that they lost in a game seven on, on such a crazy buzzer beater. It's hard to fire somebody after like that. So I don't yeah. feel like that. So I don't want to, you know, make any uniform declarations about uh, what needs to happen for him to keep his job. But I would be kind of surprised unless there's some sort of special set of circumstances uh, if he does not win the East and then is the coach of the team in 2020-2021. Yeah, I mean, I think when you bring up the point about the Toronto thing, I think it, it leads to what you said. If you If you think they have to win the East to get there, I think there's an understanding that, okay, well, if it's them in Milwaukee in the conference finals and it goes seven and it's a very close game, then at the end of the day, are you really going to sit there and say, well, he didn't make the finals? Like, right. But if they, if they go and get swept out of the Eastern Conference Finals, it's a different conversation. So I think there's a level of understanding there. Um, so the next one is just uh, Eastern Conference Finals and Western Conference Finals predictions. Who, who gets there? Okay, so in the East uh- – Pretty obvious. I think it's going to be the Sixers and the Bucks. Uh, as yeah. I said earlier, I think Milwaukee will be hosting that series. Um, do I have to predict a winner yet, or just just the uh, representative? I mean, we're going to get though. That if you want to predict the winner, you can. It's it's all part of this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for now, I am going to pick Milwaukee, but don't hold me to it because I still I still have about three weeks to uh, to tweak it, and I'm sure. All of my predictions are going to change a dozen times between now and opening night. Uh, right. For now, I'm going to say that Milwaukee beats the Sixers in the Easter Conference Finals. And in the finals, they will play the Clippers, who I will say are going to beat Houston. Who Houston, I'm a little nervous about. I've always been a big Chris Paul fan. I've never been a Russell Westbrook fan. So that trade has kind of uh, made me a little unsettled. But... Uh, I still believe in James Harden. Uh, I know the the cool thing to do now is is to not believe in James Harden, but uh, it's just unbelievable to me how good he is on offense every year. He's basically a, a walking top five offense. I believe in in their front office. I believe in their coach. Um, when there isn't really a clear number two, uh, when everybody seems to think the Clippers are the best team in the West, I will stick with Houston. Who year after year for the last maybe three or four years now has exceeded most people's expectations. Man, that's surprising. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I understand how good James Harden is. I, I love to give him shit, but I don't actually mean it. It's a bit like he, right. you, you're exactly right. He, he's a walking top five offense. That's a great way to put it. Uh, you and Kevin Kincaid both have Clippers Rockets. Oh, I, wow. I feel like the Rockets is a is a really interesting choice. Not, not that they can't get there, but there's so many more new fresh picks that people would be making that I'm, I'm very surprised to hear you both pick that. That's very interesting. All right, so you have Milwaukee and the Clippers in the finals. Then, uh, oh man, this this is tough. I, I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take Giannis and the Bucks. I think they get wow. They get their revenge on Kawhi. Uh, this is a tough one for me, and I actually, I actually think Milwaukee would be a better matchup for the Clippers than the Sixers would be because the Clippers just would have nobody to handle Joel Embiid as good as their team is. 
you know, Montrez Harrell, who's a nice player, is not going to be able to guard and beat in the post. And I'd, I wouldn't put much trust in Ivica Zubac there either. Um, with Milwaukee, it's more about uh, defending Giannis, which they have multiple guys who can do. We obviously saw Kawhi do that about as well as anybody can. But with that all being said, I just think Milwaukee, as currently constructed, is probably a better team. And and I'm not I'm far from like fully confident in this, but I think just looking at you know the teams that we have now, uh, I think Milwaukee's probably the best team in the NBA at least as it stands now. And a lot will change, so so we'll see where this prediction goes. But if I had to pick now, I will take the Bucks. All right. Well, I I have a couple disclaimers because of that one. Uh, Adam's thoughts do not you know, are, are not the thoughts of process potable. So please don't kill me for them. You can find him on Twitter at Sixers Adam, give him shit by all means. And Adam, if you don't want us to hold you to any of these and they may change that, that's all well and good, but they're on the record. Now, if you want to change your mind, you got to come back on and change your mind. That's, that's the rule. So. If, if I change, if I change my pick, I will come on here and let you. Know. All right. Uh, again, you can find Adam, on Liberty Ballers, and again, on Twitter, at Sixers Adam. Adam, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it, man. It was good talking to you. Thanks for having me, man. All right, cheers, man. Thanks. Thanks.